Chad Cannon. I, I grew up in this area. I'm from Powder Springs. Um, I was on staff with Campus Crusade for six years, and I was on staff at a church as a youth pastor for four years. And I've been doing youth ministry the last uh, ten years of my life. And um, David mentioned talking about the season of Advent, and, and the theme that we want to talk about today is just kind of waiting for God. And this is hard to do. Whenever you hear the word waiting for God, automatically you just kind of, God, I, I kind of want things on my own terms here. Uh, when I wait for you, mm, I lose control. And I think that's the hard thing about waiting is, because when you truly wait for God to do something, you're saying, God, I am not in control. And everybody in here likes to be in control of things. We like to control the outcome of all things. And so sometimes waiting is a, you're just denying the your makeup. You're denying the very DNA of your life is to be in control of a situation. Um, it's funny. Um, I, I work with Hillgrove students. Um, I'm their team chaplain, and I'm, I love being around the coaches and stuff. And the thing about it is uh, I was talking to one of the coaches one time, and he says, uh, I asked what was more nerve-wracking. Um, what do you get more uptight for, playing when you were younger or coaching now? And he said, I got more butterflies playing because you're just, he says, but it's more nerve-wracking because once you start, once you've coached and they're on the field doing, you have no control anymore. And it's that's the way it is. Once they get out there, there's no control, and we all love to have control. So waiting on God sometimes, if we truly wait, it's out of our control, and it's hard, very hard to deal with. It can be frustrating. Um, uh, why wait, though? Why does God want us to wait? God wants us to wait because it shows that we ultimately, it shows that we truly trust Him and not ourselves. Um, it, sh- it shows that we that we trust him and not ourselves. It shows that we trust him and not other people because sometimes we don't rely on ourselves, but we rely on other people. And we become dependent on other people uh, to do things for us or to feed us spiritually. And God says, wait for me, and it shows that you truly, that you really do trust me. Um, and the flip side of that is when we don't wait for God and we don't trust God, we're saying, God, I'm going to this other source because we don't want to say this, but this is what ultimately it's happening. God, I'm going to this other source because I think this source is better than you. I think I'll find fulfillment better here than I find it here. God, I'm not going to wait on you because I don't know if you truly have my best interest in mind. And here's the deal. When I say best interest in mind, don't hear me say that God is going to give us everything that we want. When we live with the mentality of followers of Christ, His best interest isn't always our best interest on a worldly level. But His best interest is always the best thing for us. So when we say, God, I'm going to wait, you're saying, I trust you. I'm going to wait. Your best is going to be my best. May not look like what my best is. We may have a list of what the best is when we wait. And it may not look like that. And you're being honest and you're saying, God, I want this outcome, but I'm going to wait for you because I know your outcome on waiting on this, whatever it is in your life, is going to be better than mine. So when we don't trust and we don't wait for God, we're saying ultimately that more things are more valuable to us. Um, 
So I want to I want to start out just looking at uh, some scripture right quick. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 30 and we're going to read it for, for real quick. And then I'm going to just kind of elaborate on it. And then I'm going to give you some some take home applications, some practical things um, for you. Um, if you know anything and I'm not a biblical scholar, but I know that the nation of Israel always did things on their own sometimes. They just went out and just kind of said, you know what, God, we're going to trust these other people. We're going to do this. And this is an instance that this happened when God was telling them to specifically, you wait on me. Don't do anything else, but you wait. Don't look to somebody else. Don't look to another nation, but you wait on me. And ultimately what happened, and then Isaiah wrote this. He says, woe to the obstinate children, stubborn children, pig-headed. Woe to those that are stubborn children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. They form an alliance, but they are not by my spirit, and they heap sin upon sin. Woe to those who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's for, for who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. That's, that's I never I didn't talk about this last hour. Isn't that he says, when you go get help from somebody else, that's going to be your shame. We think we're going to do things and we think we go other places and we don't wait for God. And God says, hey, hey, Israel, when you don't wait on me and you go do what you want to do, that's ultimately it's going to be your shame. He says, though they have officials in zone and their envoys have arrived in Haines, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage but only shame and disgrace. So what happened was, Israel was being invaded, attacked by the Assyrians, and they were scared to death. And God says, you just wait on me. And you got to understand, a lot of things back in biblical times, Old Testament times, was it was purely about fighting. I mean, it was about war. You know, we don't see it, we don't have a, we don't live quite like they did back in the day. Most of the time they needed help, their struggles were, Hey God, my enemy is a coming on me. Philistines are here to attack. And that's why you read a lot of Psalms and they talk about battle. Well, here's the deal. They were being invaded by the Assyrians and the Assyrians were mean, bad dudes and they were scared to death. And they said, you know what? We're going to go to Egypt. Their army is unbelievable. And here's the funny thing is, God had specifically told them in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, he told them, when you go to your land, when you go to the promised land, when you go and I'm going to clear out everybody and I'm going to make borders around you, but when you go there, do not sign treaties with anybody surrounding you. Do not make peace offerings with anybody around you. Don't go to that land for help. Don't go to that country for help. You wait on me and watch me provide and watch me take care of you. And so Israel says, I don't know about that, guy. It's kind of scary. He, they're, they're, they're shooting their arrows at us now. And here's the funny thing. Israel went to the very people that they were just enslaved to. They're like, God, get us free from Egypt. We need to be released. You know, Pharaoh goes to, you know, I mean, Moses. That's the whole story in Exodus chapter 3 when he goes to the, the burning bush and God says, I want you to go let, you're going to go Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Let my people go. You're going to go do that. That's what's going to happen here. You're going to Pharaoh and you're going to get them released from bondage. 
And so they were enslaved. And who are the very ones they say we need help from? Egypt. And God says, don't you remember when I rescued you from Egypt? Don't you remember when the sea parted and y'all all walked through and I destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt? Don't you remember that? And so God says right here in Isaiah 30, he says, woe are those people who go trust in chariots, who go trust in things that I have not set up for them to trust in. Wait, be patient, and watch me provide. Watch me show out. He goes on. I didn't read this last hour. I don't think it's going to be up on the screen, but Isaiah thirty eighteen says, Yet the Lord, He longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are they who wait for him. Those who just say, you know what? This is God's time frame. I'm not living on the world's calendar. I'm not living by society and how fast-paced we're supposed to be. I'm not living by what the world says is the normal. He says, you will be blessed. And I'm not talking about money, financially. But he says, you will be blessed when you stop and you wait and you watch me provide. He goes on to say in Isaiah 30, the first chapter, first first verse, Isaiah 31. I think that's coming up on the screen. Yep, thank you. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen. Woe to those people, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. God is saying, don't trust in those things. Wait on me. Watch me shine for you. So there's the outline. There's the premise of what we're going to talk about is God does not like it when we say, uh, yeah, that was good and everything, but you're, you're not on time. I'm going to go somewhere else. And he has to remind us, don't you remember when you waited for me? When things didn't make sense and I provided a way out for you. That's why me and my wife, a verse in our life right now is Psalm 20 verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I live by that. And I'm not great at it, man. I struggle. And I look at finances and I go, but God says, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in the strength of things that the world says is strong because I'm stronger. It's hard. Waiting, waiting on God is hard. If you're like me, you're impatient. Maybe you're not. Like 20 seconds of traffic is too much traffic. Waiting on God is tough to do. Waiting on God is not being lazy. Waiting on God is not sitting around doing nothing. Waiting on God is saying, God, when you tell me to move, I'll move. It's not being lazy. It's saying, God, I'm waiting on your commands. I'm waiting for you to move, and then I'm going to move. So three things I just want to chit-chat with you about. When we wait, what happens? When we wait, and this is no formula. It's, it's, this is just something that, that I, try, I live by. 
It's no right. It may be different for you, and you got different waiting. You're waiting on something that I'm not waiting on. That's what I told David. In my world, and where I live, and my job is, I don't understand how the workforce is. I don't know what you wait on if you work at IBM. I don't know what you work on or what you wait for if you are a fireman. I don't know what you wait for if you are a stay-home mom. I don't get it. I told David that this morning. That was what was hard about coming up with this. Because waiting for me is going to be totally different than waiting for you. But nonetheless, God says, in your world, I want you to wait on me. So here's the deal. When we wait, number one, when we wait, we need to consider. We need to consider. The key word here is consider. And when I was getting this together, I couldn't help but the Mary and Joseph were on my mind. I know it's Christmas season, but I just kept thinking. And this thought came to mind, and I hadn't read this yet. And I thought, what if Joseph had just not waited? Granted, Joseph is kind of second fiddle here. I mean, it's really about Mary. And even Mary, what if she had not waited? What if she was like, child, are you kidding me? But what if Joseph had not waited? And so I turned there and I just was reading through this passage and it's in, it's in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And it's the birth of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph... Her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Here's what happened. He would have been okay to do what he was going to do. In these times, he was just, it says he was a righteous guy. He didn't want to make a spectacle of it, but he wanted to secretly, where she wouldn't be made fun of and she wouldn't be disgraced, he was going to let her off the hook, so to speak. Now you got to figure, Joseph was dealing with a lot here. Oh, Joseph, by the way, um, your wife, she's pregnant. Oh, so she's cheating on me. Great. You know that was running through his mind. You know that was running through his mind. First thought was, great. And then they said, but no, no, don't worry about it. It's, this is through the Holy Spirit. Really? He's flipping out. And then he gets to this verse right here. After he had thought about all that, he didn't want to expose her to public. Verse 20 says, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He didn't rush into anything. He considered and he stopped. He said, this waiting period, what am I going to do? And he stopped and he looked around and he considered all that was going on around and he thought about it and he doesn't rush into anything. Sometimes we need to just stop and think about what's going on. And I'm not saying weigh the pros and cons because all the, the cons were against him on this one. There were no pros what's going on here until the angel of the Lord appeared and he was like, well, that eases me a little bit. But still, my soon-to-be wife is pregnant here. But he stopped and he considered. Second thing, when we wait, when we wait, we must know that he is the master. 
And this is so hard to do. And I'm going to read a passage that doesn't have to do with waiting, but I love the response here to what Jesus is asked. And some of you, we're going to be asked to wait, and we're going to be like, but God, I know what's going on in this situation. I need to act. I need to move. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I love this story. When we wait, we must know that He is the Master. Since one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, am I saying that right? Is it hard G or G? Sound good? Sound good? He said sure. Um, he said he was standing around the lake with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Um, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him, to put out a litter, for, a litter, excuse me, a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. This is what I love about Peter. He was very honest, sometimes too honest. But I love the response we're about to have. Here's what's going on. I love, and as I pointed out earlier, not just a side note, I love the fact that Jesus called and used people like fishermen. If you've ever been deep sea fishing, not the cleanest guys around. Not the people you'd say, very sovereign. He must be in seminary. You know, he's, that's not what they, they're just kind of rough. I remember going deep sea fishing with my dad and we get on the boat and these guys are just, you know, they got like 15 knives on them. One of them, you know, you could gut an elephant with it. I mean, just huge. And, you know, they're pulling them out and they're baiting your hook. You know, if you've never been deep sea fishing, you use squid and squid have ink in them. And so they're these guys, I just zoned in on fingernails. That's what I zoned in on. I was like, five minutes later, dude's eating crackers, you know, chili with his fingers. I don't use utensils, man. You know, and you're going, whoo. And this is what happened. This is who... This is who Jesus chose to save the world through outside of himself. He said the gospel is going to spread through these 12 guys. And a lot of them were fishermen. So Jesus is sitting there. These guys have been fishing all day long. Professional fishermen. This is what they do for a living. And Jesus says after they finish washing their nets. He said, hey guys, why don't you go out a little bit deeper and drop your nets. Number two I said was when we wait, we must know that he's the master. And I know this is not a story about waiting, but it's the response here that we need to have when we wait. It says here, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and have not caught anything. This is Peter being honest. This is, I love to think what's going on in their minds here. And I automatically start thinking about the show Deadliest Catch on Discovery Channel. Have you seen that show before? These guys are just, they're men. I mean, they are just rough, tough. And it would be like me going to Alaska, getting on a boat, and five minutes out there, I start telling people, hey, why don't we do this, and why don't we do that, and why don't we do that? And they would go, who are you? That's what Peter is basically saying here. Jesus, I'm professional here. I'm a professional fisherman. I know how to do this. And you're asking me, you're telling me how to fish? But here's his response after that. And I've got it underlined because I live by this. I try to. Not always. 
He said, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. And he says, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. And there are going to be times when you want to do and you want to act and you want to try. And God is saying, wait. Don't go there for help. Don't trust what the world says you're supposed to trust. Wait. But God, it doesn't make sense. Wait. And God was, I, I just, I'm just assuming that Jesus loved the response of, I don't get this, Jesus, but you're master, and I'm going to do what you ask me to do. When we wait, we must know that he's the master. Third thing, final thing I want to just, when we've waited. So first thing is when we wait, we need to consider. We need to consider, be like Joseph and not just fly into a rush, but we need to stop, settle down, and consider the things that's going on. Second thing is we must know that he's the master. When we wait, when he asks us to do something, we must know that he is a master. And the third thing, when you've waited, will you return and give thanks and tell of his greatness? When you've waited and you've seen God work, will you return and give thanks and tell of his greatness? I don't know about you, but I love people that are very appreciative. People that acknowledge when you've done something for them. Me and Shara um, worked with uh, students at McEachern, and we kept two students one time. And I remember taking them to eat at Joe's Crab Shack. And then we t- went to Goody's afterwards. And, and I'm not saying this just to make you, oh, well, we didn't have a lot of money. But I love trying to give. I love giving to people. I love trying to give when I can. We took them out to eat, took them to buy clothes. And you know what? We didn't get one thank you. And I'm guilty of doing that. I'm guilty of not thanking people. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to make that point that I'm always grateful. I try to be. But it is, it sticks. And like when I'm at a stop sign or I'm letting people out in traffic, when I wave them by and they don't give me the deuces or they don't give me flash the lights, I get all kinds of mad. I told it last last hour, there's a stop sign at um, Staples, down here, right down the road, Staples, Crystal, Taco Bell, KFC combo, right? You follow me? You tracking me? Stop sign here, stop sign here. Weird stop sign. Don't know it's a stop sign, but it is a stop sign. These people just drive right on through. Well, this poor guy, whoever's here, they're always in a pickle. They're like, do I go? Do I not go? And these two are always just cutting right in front of him. And these guys just cut in front of everybody. Well, I remember being there, and this poor guy, had, literally, he was stuck there. I know it doesn't seem like long. For like 25 seconds, he's just kind of waiting. I know it, 25 seconds, you know. But you sit there at a stop sign 25 seconds, and it's a long time. So... He's kind of, so I give the roll the window down and I let him go. Dude didn't even, didn't even give me that. I mean, he just right on by. And my, my temperature went right there. I was like, oh, just, just give me that. You know, just flash your lights at me. Just thank me. Just acknowledge. And I wonder if God sometimes is just like, do they even appreciate it? Do they even thank me? 
And I, and I couldn't help but turn to the story in Luke chapter 17 with the ten healed of leprosy. I want you to just think about how long these guys waited to be healed. I mean, they, they, they were lepers. I don't know if you know anything about it, but it's just sores all over you. I don't like it when I have a bump on my face. And I get in the mirror in the morning. I mean, I know I'm 36. I've, I'm married. I've won my prize. You know, she's incredible. I don't have to impress anybody anymore. But every now and then I'll wake up and there'll be like one there. I'm like, ooh, hold on now. We can't go out in public like this. And these people just had sores all over them. They were outcasts. They kicked them out of the cities. They made them live by themselves. And so there were ten of them. And they came and they said, now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They weren't allowed to get near people, and they knew that. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. I never understood what that was. I looked it up. Basically, the priests was the people, were the ones who let them back into town. Um, they couldn't come into town unless they were clean because it just spread like crazy. And so they would return to the priest and the priest would kind of look them up and down and say, okay, you can go back into normal society. So he said, go show yourself to the priest. And then he went on. Then he goes on to say, listen to this. One of them, verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Can you imagine what he felt? I mean, he was human. He was just like you and me. He never sinned. The Bible says Jesus Christ never sinned. Hebrews 4.16, just like you and me, never sinned. But he still had emotions. He still had feelings. And I wonder what he was thinking. I just healed... Ten guys from the worst thing going right now. And only one of them came back to me and thanked me. Let me encourage you to stop. When you've waited, when you've hit the brakes and you said, Okay, God, I'm going to trust. You're greater than anything that I can put my trust in. Your ways, although I don't understand them, I'm going to trust that your ways are better than mine and I'm going to wait and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to watch and wait for you to work. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I learned that verse when I was in the 11th grade at Huddle House in Powder Springs. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And me and my wife, we've just got a journal that we write stuff down in. When God does something, we write it down. I'm not saying that it's biblical, but you look in the Old Testament, and there were stories where they would build stones, and they would build things, monuments, so that when people walked through there, they would remember what God had done. Exodus chapter 17 is a story. Moses was praying on top of a mountain. He got too tired to pray. And Aaron and Hur said, as they fought the Amalekites, 
Joshua was fighting and Moses was praying and they got so tired they would drop their hands. And so Aaron and Hur basically held his hands up when he prayed. And at the very end, it said they wiped out the Amalekites. And at the very end, Moses says, you write this down on tablets. You write this down on a scroll so that Joshua will remember. And let me encourage you, just, a, just a, something for you to take home. Maybe you should start writing a journal. And just write down your request and write down, God, I'm waiting. And then come back to December 4th or whatever it is and say, God, I waited and you did this. Me and my wife have a little journal like I was telling you. And we just, last year and a half, we stepped down at a church. Uh, we stepped, uh, left staff at a church and I just felt God calling me to travel and speak at youth camps and youth events. Crazy. I let go of a salary. I let go of our insurance. I had a baby on the way. And man, I'm telling you. All along, Psalm 20, verse 7. Don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in the world. And man, I said, okay, God, this does not make sense at all. And we got a journal of some things that have happened that to us, they're huge. They're they're mind-boggling, things that we've written down. And just, I remember once this past summer, we were didn't have struggling, you know, because I don't call people for camps or anything. I just, the phone rings and it happens. And I remember Shara wrote down and said, man, you know, Monday, it happened on Monday. Monday, we get just a random check in the mail for 150 bucks from somebody. Didn't even know. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. Tuesday rolls around. We get some grant or scholarship thing. Somebody put our name in the hat for something. And we got a $200 scholarship. Once a year, came on Tuesday. Wednesday came rolled around. Somebody that I worked with at McEachern, their their mom and dad, at, this was eight years ago, said, hey, God laid me on your heart. Thank you so much for pouring into so-and-so's life. We cherish all the time you gave to him. Sent us a $200 check. Cher was like, I can't wait till Thursday. You know what I mean? And God was just providing when we wait. Coolest thing has happened, and it's so funny that one of the coaches is here, but um, I'll close with this. This just flat blew my mind. Um, I speak to the team on th- on Friday nights, and it's one of the hardest talks I do. My mentality is, okay, if I'm about to go play football, I don't want to hear somebody talking to me about Jesus. I'm just be honest with you. So I struggle with, okay, here are 15-year-old, 17-year-old kids. They're about to go bash heads with somebody. What am I going to talk to him about? And I struggle. You can ask my wife. I struggle with it. Well, one night, I was praying, just kind of talking to God. I was getting ready. And I was like, God, man, I'm just struggling. It was a Thursday night, and, and God just laid on my heart. Just, Chad, I want you to talk to these kids about giving. They're about to play football, God. I know that. Okay. So I started thinking about passages that had to do with giving. So I talked... I said, okay, I'll talk about the woman who gave her two copper coins. You know, everybody was given the money, and then this old lady walked in, and she gave her two copper coins, and Jesus called the disciples over and said, look at that, guys. This lady right here, she's the winner. Everybody else gave because they had a lot of money. This lady gave because she gave out of her poverty, and she gave all she had. So I knew I was going to talk about that Thursday night, Friday morning. I'm rolling around. I'm spending time with God. I'm trying to read and study and I look at my calendar and I'm looking at my upcoming events I got to speak at and I'm like, hmm, ain't too much on the calendar, God. And I wrote down specifically 
Because I love George Mueller. He lived by faith and just waiting on God. I wrote down, God, I guess I'm getting my wish of being more like George Mueller. Friday rolls around, 4 o'clock. I'm going to speak to the football team. And I'm thinking still, you sure you don't want to change this, God? So I stand up and I just begin talking to the kids about giving. And I tell this story about this woman who gave. And I said, I want to challenge you all as a team maybe to find three or four buddies. And I told them about Compassion International. I told them about... Samaritan's Purse, how, you know, 30 bucks, 28 to 32 bucks a month, you can find three buddies, eight bucks, 10 bucks a month, and man, you can keep a little kid alive. And I just challenged them to give, closed it out in prayer, and I'm walking off, and the coach stands up, and he's got an envelope with him. He said, it is so funny that you're talking about giving today. I said, well, it wasn't too funny. (laughs) I didn't like it. And uh, he had an envelope, and he said, the players, and that's what broke, this crushed me, you know, 80 kids. He said, the coaches, the players, and the team moms who cook for them, he said, we decided to take a collection for you, for all that you do for us the last three or four years of working here. I was a train wreck. <laughs> Tore up crying. I mean, it was... Because my thought was, God, when you tell us to wait on you, you'll do things that you never imagined. Now, would I have liked a million dollars more? Yeah, I would have. But the fact that how it came to me, here I prayed, God, what do I talk about? Giving, okay? Then I wrote in my journal, guess I'm going to live like Mueller. And he says, I'm going to award you for that. And so they took a collection for me. And man, I got on the phone, I was headed to speak at a camp, and I just wept as I talked to my mom, and then I talked to my wife, and Shara, you know what Shara did? Got the journal out. Wrote it down. And we're giving thanks. Wait for God. Don't forget to give thanks. Tell Him you're grateful. Tell Him you appreciate it. And I just want to challenge you to that. This Christmas and on past Christmases, when you wait for God and He does something... Write it down. Tell somebody about it, how great the God is that you serve. We're going to close in just a second. If you would, if you just would stand up, we're going to sing, and I'm going to close this in prayer, and Anna Kate will be coming up. If you want to talk to somebody, the uh, ministry teams will be up here. Uh, if you want to pray, maybe this is something God has put on your heart that I haven't even talked about. But, man, you need to do business with God, and you need to get up here, and you need prayer, or you need to just get silent and pray. That's what this time is open for. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day that you don't wait. Maybe it's the day that you come and you say, I don't know what this means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but I know I'm missing something in my life. Jesus Christ came here and He lived 33 years of sinless life. 33 years of sinless life. And He got on a cross and He said, Chad, I'm going to die for your sins. And He died for the world. And that's an awesome thing. Man, if you need to become a follower of Christ, come talk to me. Come talk to somebody up here. If not, just do business with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that.